0: I'm Linda Brady.
1: And I'm Michael Brady.
0: And together we welcome you to The Age of Aquarius New Rules for a New Age. This is podcast number 10. And we are going to give a few minutes to some of our our listeners. They had a few questions about Mercury, which is what we did last week. And um, one of the questions was really pretty important. And I want to make clear that um, there is a distinction between where the moon is in a chart. And where Mercury is in a chart, and they uh, one of my our listeners was confused about that. The Moon in a chart represents the child's emotional foundations, and it in essence represents the personality of our inner child, our inner young child. Mercury represents the way we communicate to our children, not only to our inner children but to the world. So, having both of those uh, symbols at hand makes it a lot easier for us to be dealing even you know, with our inner child. So if you have, let's say, Mercury and Sagittarius in your natal chart and you you want to communicate more effectively to your little girl, then you would go and look for Sagittarian symbols. Now, you're not, it's not going to surprise you because you've been doing your Mercury and Sag your whole life. You may not have been able to label it Mercury and Sagittarius, but you still have done it. So being able to be clearer, though, about what we are, how we communicate to ourselves and to others is, is pretty important. So you would not communicate to a Sagittarian child in earthly terms. You would use fire energy. You would use travel. You would use um, anything that reeks of optimism and expansion and fun and even risk-taking. You know, they like that. They would want to hear about that, and they would want to hear... That you know about that part of them, so that was that was a big question, Michael, from last week. Everybody else, um, a few people have asked for that, where their Mercury signs are, which is wonderful. I, I like that kind of uh, uh, feedback, so we're so willing to do it anytime. You know, we're willing to send you a chart actually by email if you're interested in finding out more of your information. All we need is your date, time, and place of birth. And uh, send it to us and we'll get it out to you because a lot of the work we're doing, you know, really does relate back to your inner, your, your chart for the inner child, you know, for everything that we're, we're talking about. So I would strongly suggest that.
1: So today our topic is the sanctuary.
0: Today is the sanctuary. The sanctuary. Yes. Um, many years, many years of working with the inner child and working with clients who have, who wanted to figure out and learn and grow with their inner children. One of the things that I learned early on is that the inner child is often put into the front lines of our life. For instance, you know, if you're the general and you're facing a battle, it's the privates that go out there and fight the battle. The generals are back there planning it and strategizing it, but it's the privates that are out there getting killed, basically. So when you think about that and think about you are the general and your little children are the privates. That's what you've done with your little kid. You put them in the front lines of your life. They're having to deal with issues, emotionally especially, that you may or may not be interested in dealing with. Um, you're fighting with your husband. The last thing you want to do is have your inner child be part of that fight. I mean, you wouldn't do that in front of a, an external child, would you? A uh, 5 years old Yeah, exactly. You would try to keep your arguments someplace else. The other thing, too, when this was, I don't know if I've shared this with you all before, but um, one of the things that really changed my mind about doing the sanctuary was with Lenny, my little girl, as you all know, who was a soft ice cream addict. And we had a,
1: uh, we lived in Vermont, and we had a
0: hardware store that had, if you can
1: believe it, an ice cream <laughs> store. For all you men out there, we had the perfect hardware store. One, it was an old-fashioned hardware store, kind of like what Ace Hardware still is, where you could walk in and there were enough people walking around that you could ask them to find the thing you wanted. They take you right to it kind of thing. And it had an ice cream shop a soft ice cream shop attached to the corner of the building. It was actually part of the hardware store. So it was a combination of the perfect hardware store and an ice cream treat all at the same yes, time. Michael really loved that.
0: So anyway, um, we would go there a lot, and we'd get ice cream. We'd get soft ice cream. And then when I started my, my big diet to lose 130 pounds, it was really not in my best interest to be eating soft ice cream two or three times a week. Linny, on the other hand, threw a fit because she loves soft ice cream. And she wanted soft ice cream. And every time we went by the hardware store, even though we weren't necessarily stopping at the hardware store, she would get upset with me and she'd get pouty and she'd get angry because she wanted an ice cream cone. And this went on for weeks, right? I mean, it was a, it was a long time. Yeah. Right. So I got tired of it. I'm sure Lenny got tired of it. And I know Michael did. So I had to, I'm trying to, I tried to figure out another way that we could do this, a third option, which you know, I'm famous for. And what I decided was in, to put Lenny in a place where she could actually get some money. She got a dollar, and she would cross the street, with my holding my hand, cross the street, and she would go up to the counter, and she would order an ice cream cone. Now, when I tell you the ice cream cone was bigger than she was, I am not exaggerating. This was a huge ice cream cone that she was, in fact, very happy about. And she, I think, probably ate on that ice cream cone the whole day. Because it was about three feet tall. Anyway, so at that point, I'm going, this is very cool. Because she's having what she wants.
1: And I'm not having to have the calories. Okay, so to, to insert here, okay, the the ice cream store, the ice cream cone came out of the garden, of her sanctuary. Right. Okay, it was create, It was an experience in the sanctuary. Right. Okay, and the sanctuary is not just the creation of linda's unconscious mind the sanctuary is actually the name of a place that we've created in the imaginal realm if you are interested you can google that and find all kinds of interesting information that's not just my term and my idea but when i found it we had already uh, created the garden and the sanctuary in a person's unconscious mind and the way that i came up with helping a person get to that was to create to have them create, see, find a doorway in their unconscious mind. And I said to them early on, this is like 37 years ago, in a group experience, I said, so once you see that door and you've decided that's the one you like, it can be old and massive, it can be wooden, it can be modern, it can be metal, it can be any kind of door you want. But once you've created the door pay attention to that door because you're always going to enter the garden when you close your eyes and you go into your unconscious mind through that doorway so having set that up I encountered an article fifteen years later that started talking about this thing called the imaginal realm the imaginal realm sorry and lo and behold I, I all of a sudden it occurred to me that the sanctuary and the garden were in the imaginal realm they weren't a personal unconscious creation that I had guided a person to do, but it was a a doorway to another, wait for it, dimension. We live in a dimensional world, a physical world. This is another world in, in another dimension that existed long before I had an unconscious mind or anybody else came along. It's a world. So when I read about the imaginal realm and it talked about that, all of a sudden, I realized that that's what we were doing, that we were going to this imaginal realm, excuse me, and the sanctuary was created in that so w- one of the characteristics of the imaginal realm is that it doesn't operate by the same physical laws that our external reality works by, so in the imaginal realm, it's what we would call from this world a magical place. you can swim in the land, you can. Uh, walk on water. You can fly through the air. You can create instant manifestation. That is that in the garden, in the imaginal realm, in this other world, the laws of that world are such that if you think of something, it can manifest instantaneously. So all of those things were part of what we were doing with this when I thought it was a personal and then a group-shared construct in the unconscious mind. When all of a sudden I discovered, no, 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 I was wrong about that. <laughs> it's actually a different world that we stumbled into. I just didn't know what to call it and I didn't know what it was about at the time that it started. So the important part of that is is that Lenny goes into this other world and there's an ice cream stand there that mirrors the one – in Vermont when we lived in it. And at the time when she was having her three-feet ice cream cones, she was in another dimension having real ice cream in a magical world. Right. Back to you, Lynn. Well, thanks. (laughs) Yes. So it actually worked very, very well. She was happy
0: and I was happy. So from that, we, Michael and I, this was before the imaginal realm process came to be, we decided that through our minds, because our minds can do just about anything we wanted to do, right? Um, we could create and help people create what we call the sanctuary. And how I will never forget, I had a client in Scotland, and she said, "Is that like an angel daycare center?" And I said, "You know, yeah." I think I think you could you could call it an angel daycare.
1: Interesting center. take. Wasn't I
0: that? I thought that was brilliant. And of course, she said it in her Scottish accent, which I can't reproduce. But no, we don't
1: do accents. No, we don't do accents. I can barely talk English.
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that that was funny. But you know, so since that time, I don't think there is one client that Michael and I've had or student that has not created a sanctuary.
1: For their inner children. And we've encouraged that. And And, we've encouraged that. And I encourage it to be in the imaginal realm in a place that we call the garden. Exactly. So we would
0: ask each of you to think about that. You know, think about taking your child to work with you and you've got a really grumpy boss. boss. Or think about fighting with your husband or wife. Or think about getting in a car and raving at um, raging. At a driver who's going 20 miles an hour in a 60 mile zone. So, you know, you've got we've got all these situations where we just deal with it, you know. We forget that our inner children are dealing with it too. And they're dealing with it on a, a very deep emotional energy without a lot of filter. They're just they're just feeling sad or angry or scared. They're feeling it all and we're not paying attention. We are just going on with our day and these little beings within us are really having a hard time.
1: Well, all of us also have this confusion in this lifetime until we become aware of who are we and who is our inner children, right? I mean, most people aren't even, don't think about, aren't aware, don't know they have an inner child. So when you start to get in touch with that idea and you start to explore the inner child in yourself and you start to accept that that has reality to it. Then the question becomes, well, if she's feeling, if he or she is feeling scared, does that mean my grown-up? If if the I in here talking is a grown-up, is my grown-up feeling scared? And sometimes our adult feelings match our inner children's feelings, and sometimes they're different. Yeah, uh, And understanding the conflict of what you – Think and feel is how you create or how you, how you manifest your reality in the physical world. And that if there's a conflict, they're not in agreement with each other in harmony. What you think and what you feel, that feelings dominate, emotion dominates what you manifest. Then if our children are containing our emotions primarily from childhood, they're the most in touch with their emotions. And we're, we've learned to be out of touch with our emotions as we've grown up and become adults. When we get into an emotional situation as an adult, until we become aware of this, guess who ends up driving the car through life, which is your body, your inner child, because their strong emotion takes over. Those are the times as adults when we say, well, I couldn't help myself, or I'm just so this, that, or the other thing that I have to or I couldn't. That's really an indication that, Uh, what's driving what's going on in your life at that moment is the emotion and the emotion is coming from your inner child. So learning to be able to differentiate yourself from your inner child and then your emotion from the inner child's emotion, even if it's the same, the adult's emotion is always going to be less intense and won't be over the top as much as your inner child. Then you can begin to Take responsibility for how often your child ends up driving your car, so to speak, through life. And if you need the child to be uninvolved with something in your life, not all day, every day, but certain parts of your life, then it'd be nice if you could, you know, you can drop them off somewhere, right? But they're inside of you. So how do you do that? (laughs) Ah, the sanctuary sanctuary. is how you do that, which is why we came here to talk about it today.
0: Right. Because in the sanctuary is everything that the child needs. Um, their pets, their toys. You also, you know, make sure because these, these are younger children that there is a very strong adult presence. And I have people that use Mary Poppins or they use their favorite aunt or they use what, whoever, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, to be there in the sanctuary with the children. The reason that's important is because my child, Lenny, Thinks she's a better counselor than I am. She's said that a long time, and she really means it. Which means if I'm working with a client um, and it's intense, and most of my clients are intense, or I'm intense with them. I mean, both things. Um, that you know that she thinks she should get involved, so she will try to insinuate herself into a conversation. Now that's inappropriate on so many levels. Well, the first level, of course, is she's not a better counselor than
1: I am. That's right. And especially since she's three years she's old. She's three
0: years old. <laughs> uh, she just wants to go there and give them big hugs and, you know, pat them on the back and tell them that she loves them and everything's going to be okay. And,
1: and Jesus loves them.
0: And Jesus yeah. loves you. And, I mean, she'll go on and on about how, you know, not much for a counseling <laughs> session, but anyway, I think some people might enjoy that. Anyway, um, so so I learned, you know, that we have to we have to have a presence in the imaginal realm, in the sanctuary, where she's, she, they are supervised.
1: Yes, because when you close that door, that's like a soundproof room, one world versus another world. So it really is a way internally to separate our inner child from our experience.
0: Right. So, you know, finding that space in your mind that you can create, you can find the imaginal realm. If you need trouble, just talk to my husband. Um, and and me- making sure that it has everything your inner child needs. A lot of my, my people, including me, um, Lenny goes to the sanctuary in the morning, and I pick her up at night. I had one client that said, yeah, but I forgot, and she stayed in there for three years. But th- that's not okay. <laughs> you don't want your child to be in the sanctuary for yeah. three years.
1: We've been hammering this for years, but once you connect to your inner child, it's not like you... Like you do a six-day, a six-week, a six-month stint on your inner child work, and then you're done for the rest of your life. (laughs) It really doesn't doesn't work work that that way any more than if you had a biological child. Unless the child would die, they're involved in your life in some way your whole life. (laughs) Right. So
0: this is the way that adults can get some relief and know that their inner children are taken care of and that they can have time and space. You know, bottom line, kids – shouldn't be going to bed until, you know, and after 8 o'clock or 8.30 if they're young. So you've got the whole evening ahead. Because most of my clients in some way or another say, I just don't have time for this. I've got too much on my plate. I've got enough worries of my own as an adult. I've I raised my children. I am not going to do this. I don't want to do this, Linda. There's got to be another way, blah, blah, blah,
1: But blah. you know that's such a load of bull. <laughs> Because if you think about it, this is not a physically existing child outside of you in the material world. That would be a valid thing to say maybe if we were talking about a physical child outside of you. But this is an inner child, and your experiences with them are mental, and thoughts occur at the speed of light. So you can think about climbing Mount Everest – well, if you physically did that, it would take quite a bit of time, wouldn't it? Yes. But the fact that you do it in your mind doesn't take hardly any time at all, mm-hmm. does it? I could be there right now. So, really, saying you have no time to engage with your inner child really is a little bull. Well, isn't it? it's because they don't want to take responsibility for for their depth of their emotional. Thank life. you. And that's how and that's how our inner children end up in the driver's seat in the first place. Because every time I work with a person who's connecting with their inner child and coming to grips with the emotional process in their life, which often, if not always, go together. At the critical moments that the child ends up driving your car in life, how does a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a three-year-old get a 200-pound or 185 or 165-pound adult in a car that's moving through life, in a car that's driving down the road? How does a little kid get a grown-up to switch From the driver's seat to the passenger seat. Can a child really make an adult do that against their will? Nope. But what if an adult wants to get out of the driver's seat and the child is five or six or four or three years old? Does the child have the power to really prevent that? Nope. Nope. So guess what? The adult has to reach a point in their life experience, a moment where they go, oh, God, I don't want to deal with this. And when they don't want to deal with that, they give up responsibility for driving the car. And our little children, our inner children, like external children, will jump in and try to save us. If you've ever seen how kids work in families, most of their acting out behavior is actually an attempt to try to fix or take care of something that's in conflict or disarray in the family system somehow. Right. So there's a very strong instinct in us as little children to try to jump into the grown-up world and take care of grown-ups underneath. Well, well that brings
0: up an interesting point because we – many of us have, myself included, have had lifetimes, early lifetimes where we were the inner counselor to, the, to our parents or the people we live with, that we, in fact, were adult children. That goes on too, which, yep. which further complicates this mess. Right. Um, and until you find, figure that out, you understand that that adult
1: child never had a childhood. Right. Not really. Well, all of our childhood had been messed up up until now, karmically speaking. I mean, up until now, I don't think – well, okay. I don't want to rule this out absolutely, but functionally speaking, I've never met an adult in this lifetime who had adequate or above parenting growing up. Well, they probably wouldn't end up with us anyway. And the very few people along the way who have said they did, claimed it, if they did any in-depth work, changed their mind along the way. (laughs) Right. Well, it's
0: the way it should be. We need the challenges in our family systems. If
1: we've karmically been children evolutionary up until now, in our childhood stage as we evolve, then we've been being born to children, raising children. Children forever up until now. This may be the first incarnation where, where we're actually, well, we are in the beginning of the stage of evolution called our adulthood. So we're like an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old, if you compare it to life.
0: Yeah, and I you was know, thinking about that. So if we are able to pull and separate and distinguish between the inner child and our adult... And we know that it may be important for us to go back and give their, give our inner children a semblance of a childhood, that they're happier, we're happier, everybody's yep. happier.
1: A semblance of a child. I wonder where we could do that with an inner child.
0: In their imaginal realm. And, and in their sanctuary. And the in their garden. sanctuary.
1: Absolutely. That's right. right. In they, that magical other world.
0: That's right. They could have anything they want. If they want to have 10 dogs. That's right. Not a problem. If they want to eat a three-foot
1: ice cream cone, go for That's it. That's right. My mom died when I was six years old. And in my family, she was the safe one. She was the one that made me feel safe. After she died, I was raised by the wolves. I mean, they were my family. They fed me. They took care of me. They housed me. But I had to watch out because they might bite my ass off <laughs> along the way kind of thing. That wasn't true with my mom. She was, ne- she was always consistently my safe harbor up until the time she left me as a little kid and I also had a dog not that I owned a dog but a friend's dog a guy a kid moved into my neighborhood when I was nine years old and the first day I met this kid and we played together me and him and uh, two other of my friends in the alley he came with a dog and it was this perfect mutt uh, about 45 pounds, soft, long, silky, brown, black hair, just a movie kind of dog. And he followed us around all day. And at the end of the day, we were sent to the store to get something for his mom. And and his pup got hit by a car on the way home and died. The first uh, only they ever knew this dog. And we took the dog to his mom's house, carried the dog home. And she said, oh, well... You all need to have have a funeral. You need to, here, here's a shovel. Here's a box. Go over into the woods and find a place to make a grave for the dog and have a funeral for him and bury him, which I thought, as a, in, in hindsight, the dog, I think was brilliant. It really was. So we went over there and dug a hole, and we cried, and we talked about the dog, and we buried the dog. So I had a, I had, a had a reoccurrence of a death experience that was positive for me on mm-hmm. that level, not, not pleasant, but positive. And I've always carried that – I mean, I've always loved that dog. So guess what? My Mikey, my inner child, when he's not with me, lives in the garden. Right. In the sanctuary, which is in the imaginal realm. And one of the people who's there with him is his mom because – Why not? She's in spirit. <laughs> right. She's available. He asked her to come. I asked her to come. She agreed from the other side. And she, so he's reunited with her. And guess what pet he picked? That dog. He picked that dog. Sure. So he's happy in a way that he wasn't happy in the first place. He's been restored right. to his happiness. Right. To his, to his childhood in because a different of the way. The power of the sanctuary. Right.
0: And I started talking. I cry every time you
1: tell that story. I know. And I don't like it when you tell you that cry story. Every, you cry every time anything happens to an animal. That's true. Particularly dogs. Particularly dogs. Anyway,
0: okay, so I'll get my tears out of the way here and move on. Okay, um, there's something I wanted to say about about that too. The key is being able to know when the child needs to go to the sanctuary, when the child needs to come out of the sanctuary. You know, it's, it is, just like you, Michael said before, it, it takes time, but it's not – An overtly big piece of time, just a little bit
1: of time. No, I mean, you have to go to the bathroom X amount of times a day, don't you? You drive
0: your car, you go to the bathroom, you take a shower, you do this, you You do that. You have to
1: wait at a traffic light for up to three minutes. You have to wait for your spouse or your kids to come out of a store. There's a lot of spaces in life.
0: Oh, absolutely. And if instead of listening to the broadcast or our podcast or whatever people are doing these days, including our own.
1: Don't listen to us.
0: Don't listen to our podcast anymore. Uh, Talk to your inner child. Um, You know, we, we don't use that time productively. And what we do is, you know, we distract ourselves for many, many different things. So really understanding that, just like Jung said, what we repress within ourselves, we create outside ourselves as chaos and ultimately disease. So our inner children, when they are not paid attention to, become part of that unconscious process. Therefore, the inner children oftentimes are paying are driving those cars and their trucks. And what I say in my book is if you let a kid drive the car, there's a lot of accidents that are going to happen down the road because children shouldn't be driving cars. and so but so that's really the important thing we want to bring forward. And Michael, you know ha, you know is a past life therapist and he leads meditations all the time. And we've decided that for this one, particularly for this podcast, it would be great for you, for Michael to lead you all in a meditation. So I would advise you all now to be someplace quiet, not
1: in your cars. If you're driving down a road, please, please pull over. <laughs> yeah, turn, either pull over or turn this off and come back to it right. if you get out of a car.
0: Yeah, because you need to be in that quiet, safe, still place, you know, to to do that. So I'm going to sign off and give you to Michael. I have a very, very busy day today, so Michael's consented to do this, and – I'm not going to tell you about next week's call because I'm not really sure what we're going to do yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to make up my mind.
0: i have to decide what that might be. And it might even be bringing on a guest. That, would, that could be fun. Has
1: possibility. That's
0: possibility. That has several possibilities I can think of. So that being said, I'm going to turn you over to the master hypnotherapist. So he'll take you to your sanctuary. Okay. See you next week.
1: All right, you're going to leave the room now. Aren't I'm
0: going you? to leave the room and get ready for my next client.
1: Okay, so I'll I'll give you a second to get up now. Okay, you're
0: going to sit in this chair. No, I'm sitting right here. Okay, bye, everybody.
1: <laughs> okay, so meanwhile, what you can do is get comfortable. If you're not in a car, in a place that you're at. Wait, she's going to fall over. She gets up. Okay. Okay, she's clear. She's clear. Good. You want to get in a place where you can sit or lie down. It doesn't matter, either one, because you're not going to go away like you go to sleep. You're not going to become completely unaware of yourself. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a at meditation. Anyway, um, sit in a place where you're comfortable. And when you're ready now, I would like you to close your eyes and acknowledge to yourself that your eyes are closed. Pardon me while I close the door. Just can't do things perfectly. You have to accept excellence. (sighs) Okay. And begin to take some deep sighing breaths for yourself now that your eyes are closed. Let your awareness of your breathing expand. That is noticing the passage of air in and out of your nostrils, and your mouth, the rising and falling of your stomach and chest. And take deep sighing breaths. let sound like this. And don't be afraid to make that noise that we make when they occur spontaneously. Because that is a natural spontaneous deep breath, a sigh. And every time you sigh in life spontaneously, you only do it once, but you're always in tension and you always feel relaxed at the end of the breath, if you think about it. So what happens if you put five or ten or 15 or 25 deep sighing breaths together? Hmm. can have a profound effect on your state of being. It can help you shift from your conscious to your unconscious, from being uptight, upset to calm, more relaxed, more open less closed to what to others to yourself to yourself so as you're taking those deep sighing breaths now i want you to think about also where you're at inside you are not your body you inhabit your body you'll still be intact after your body isn't we all tend to believe that i i guess i do so you occupy your body like a building And like a building, you can be in various places in the building when you occupy it. Most of the time, most of us, when our eyes are open, are up in the top of the building. We're in our head. Now, you have two brains in your body. One is in your head, obviously. We all know that. But do you know where the other one is? The other one's in your chest. More than 66% of the cells of the human heart are of the neuronal type of cell neuronal type of cell, which is the type of cell that makes up what's called the brain in the skull. So your heart is not just a pump. In fact, it's not a pump. It doesn't work on hydraulics, which is what pumping, the science of pumps is based on. It's a conscious entity. It thinks like your head thinks. In language, your heart thinks in sensation and emotion. And the more important part of that is emotion. So emotion is like language to your heart. Hmm. And in life, using your two brains, the one in your head calculates probability. No matter what you think about something, you're never 100% sure. You always come out with a probability, which is less than certainty. Yet in life, there are times when we're very certain of things, aren't there? And if you think about it, Those are times when you think about what's going on with your heart, which also is with the language of your emotions. So being in touch with your emotions and being clear, having a clear emotional channel, is a very important thing to accomplish at this point in our lifestyle and in our life. Because it's very difficult for most people to be in touch with their emotions enough and or to be in their heart center often enough. So think about settling down into your heart. As you exhale, breathing in, breathing out. Also think about energetically inhaling through your heart as you inhale air into your mouth or your nose and exhaling energy out of your heart. So you're breathing through your heart now while you're breathing in and out in a deep, slower way. And let yourself feel the effects of that. their relaxation the calmness, the centeredness that comes. And as you settle into your heart, you may also find that you're feeling something. You may feel sad. You may feel irritated or frustrated or mad. You may feel any variety of things. You can feel glad, mad, sad, scared, ashamed. Those are the ones that God gave us. And then you can store shame into guilt. So mad, glad, glad, mad, sad, scared, ashamed, guilty. You may find yourself becoming aware of an emotion in you, without any reason, just the presence of. You don't need a reason to have an emotion. You don't have emotions because you think of something, a reason to have it. You have an emotion because of what happens. Now, happens can be remembering your past or speculating about your future. That's all internal and mental. But the rest of it's external and just in your face, here and now. Here and now emotions are always true emotions and they fit the situation we're in and they're meant to help us Manage that situation. Remembered emotions, emotions that are evoked in you from remembering something or speculating about the future, emotions that are evoked from speculating about what hasn't happened and may never. The emotions are real. The events are not. Yeah, even your past events are not real events. They're a memory of an event and we sample our memory every time that we remember something. And we don't even do the same sampling consistently every time about the same memory. So it's not really the facts that you're remembering, is it? So the past isn't real. The future isn't real. But the emotions that we generate internally from speculating, contemplating the past and the future are real. So let yourself become aware of an emotion. Whatever it is, it may be derived from emotion as an attitude at some point. You might say, well, I just feel kind of serene or I feel calm or I feel nothing. Some people say I feel nothing when they're feeling calm, like they expect everything to be intense. I don't know. And if it's a stressful feeling, if it's a feeling that's not pleasant, not glad, doesn't fall in the glad category, breathe it out through your heart. When you're exhaling now. Breathe it out. And every time you breathe in, breathe in, pull into yourself, into your heart. Calm, peace, relaxation. That's right. And center and ground yourself in your heart. That's good. Right like that. Excellent. Now what I'd like you to do is to stay in your heart while you open your third eye. That's that spot in the middle of your eyebrows where when you close your eyes, you see things where you dream at night where you see things in your daytime when you close your eyes and use your imagination to work in your unconscious. See it as an orb. See it as a circle. See it as a thing that, that's like a camera aperture that opens and closes from a complete, you know, to a tiny dot to completely open. Relax Your third eye, open it. Empowering yourself to see things in your mind while you feel yourself settled in your heart. Use your breath to do that. Take a couple of breaths. Anchoring yourself in your heart and opening and expanding your third eye. Good. Now, of course, you know where this is going now. I want you to find in your unconscious mind, in your mind, a doorway that's going to be to the garden to the ima- in the imaginal realm. Now, it can be any kind of door you want it to be. It can be massive and old and heavy and wooden with a wrought iron ring. It can be a vault door. It can be a house door of any kind you want it to be. It could be modern. It could be old. Just... Like whatever you see, like whatever you choose to keep as this door, because you're always going to come back to this door when you close your uh, eyes, when you go into your unconscious to go into the garden, to go into the imaginal realm. You're always going to use this door. It is the entrance now built into your unconscious to a different world, to a different dimension. You're leaving this world when you do this. So take a look at the door, study it. Arrange it to where you feel really good about that door. And you have the feeling, the sense in your heart, that you'll always know where that door is at inside. Good. Take a couple of breaths to anchor that in yourself. Good. Now I want you to open the door and step through and pull it close behind you and find yourself on a path, a path that leads up a hill, a hill that's covered on the left by field and on the right by field. But about halfway up that trail to the crest of the hill is a branch off trail that goes across the field to the right into a copse of very old mature trees that you can see over there at the edge. And in that, in that tree clump, I call it the grove, the grove of trees. It's very church-like, a very cool on a hot day, a very soft grass under the, and earth under the uh, trees, and a very pleasant place, a very church-like, peaceful place to come where you can contemplate, meditate, meet with somebody. That's over there on the right. As you look up the, up the trail... To the top of the hill, there's one old, solid, very large tree there on the top, on the crest. And it can be any kind of tree you want because, remember, this is a magical place. You can swim in the land here. You can fly through the air. You can think yourself from one place to another place. You can do all kinds of magical things here. So this tree is the same for everyone. It is an old, solitary tree. But it can be an oak, a willow, an elm, a cedar, a redwood, anything you want it to be. So I'd like you to make your way up the trail now to the tree, to the crest of the hill. And look down the other side of the hill. And what you're going to see is a deep mountain lake in front of you. Now back up and feel the tree behind you while you look at the lake. As you look across the lake, what you're going to see is mountain, mountains. Some people pick two or three peaks. Some people pick one. Some people pick um, a tree-covered mountain. Some people pick a rock-covered mountain at the top. You have all kinds of choices here. Notice the mountains on the far side. Now, if you look down at the shoreline, and to the left slightly of where you're at with the tree, you'll see a place where it looks like it's cultivated. But it's not cultivated in nice, even rows like we would plant corn or something. It's obvious that various people have come here at various different times with a plant, with a tree, with a flower. And they've planted, not in a very organized way, a garden of sorts here. And we call this the affirmational garden. If you have an affirmation, something you want to create in your life, in yourself, in your life in the physical realm, you can come to the garden and you can come here and you can plant that desire as a plant. And that way you can come and nurture it and feed it and water it and watch it grow. And as it grows in the garden, as it grows in the imaginal realm, so it grows in you. So it grows in your life, your other life with your eyes open. These are the common elements of the garden. From this point, everyone customizes whatever they want here, whatever they need here. So all of our clients have a a sanctuary in the garden in this environment for their inner child if they choose to use this. Mikey, my child, has a treehouse here. And he has his favorite dog and he has his mom and he has his dad. And they're not the people he knew when he was a little boy. They're better now. (laughs) They're fixed. They're really good parents. They're really good caretakers. So he has that, and he has some playmates here, and he has any toys he wants here, and he can even create himself here. I've told him that this is a magical place. So when I'm not here, he can create things for himself as well. And in this world, he is safe He is loved. He is cared for. And I can go back into my world and do certain things and not have to worry about him. And he doesn't have to be part of those adult-like things that I take care of in my life. I'm much better able to handle what I'm dealing with, and he's much happier as a child. Now I come and spend time with him. Sometimes I bring him out of the sanctuary, have him come out with me. When I'm doing things that are fun for me, when I'm doing things that would be fun for him. So get comfortable. Uh, Sit down with your back up against the tree. Let's call this headquarters for creating in the garden. (laughs) Like when you come to the garden, you always come to the top of the hill. and Sit down with your back up against the tree before you start doing anything kind of thing. And call your inner child to you from here and when your child shows up now get down on your knees they're smaller than you are so you're on eye level with them and give them a hug and rub their back and pat their back smell their hair nuzzle them let yourself Feel the love of this child for yourself as their parent, their good mother, and their good father. Let yourself feel the love you have for this child. Now, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to be. It may not turn out to be that way up front. Your child may not feel comfortable with you hugging them, or your child may not want to have that contact your child may be more stoic or careful you may not feel exactly comfortable hugging this child that's all right just pay attention to whatever it is because that's where you're starting with each other and know that over time now that you're going to never forget your child again for the rest of your life and you're always going to be for be there for them in that case eventually those walls and those trepidations will dissipate with each hug, with each contact, with each passing day that you're really present and here now for this inner child. They will know that. And your inner child, like all children, all children can forgive anything. Your child will forgive anything that he feels slighted or injured, he or she feels slighted or injured by by you in the past. Good. Now, with your child, explain to him or her, again, that this is a magical place and that this is a place that when you need to be doing grown-up things and those are things that are too hard for them or they shouldn't be involved in and that's your judgment as their parent, this is a place where they can come and be safe and they don't have to be bothered with what the grown-ups are doing, what you're doing. Now, Pay attention to how they respond to that and begin to help your child, guide your child in creating their perfect home, their perfect sanctuary. Do they want a dollhouse? Do they want a tree house? Do they want a little cottage? Where do they want to sleep? Where do they want to eat? Who do they want with them to take care of them, to provide them comfort, to... Be there for them with whatever they're doing. Now, again, remember, the minute you think of it with each other, it manifests. So pick a spot and create the house, create the home, create the dwelling, create the companionship for this child. You and they together creating that. And know that you can come back and modify and change this and add to it as much as you want any time you want to. Again, it's a magical place. And see how your child reacts to this. How does this make him or her feel? Knowing that you're going to leave your child now in the sanctuary until tonight or tomorrow morning or whenever the next interval of checking in on your child would make sense if they were external you'll come back to this and see how they're doing now I can go a number of days without thinking about Mikey and I know he's happy and he's in the garden and I at least have contact with him Mm. Mostly, on an average, every day, every other day. And sometimes I can get tied up with life and not check in for three days. But I also know that he's got his mother and his father and his dog and he's got his best friends and he can play as much as he wants to and he's happy here. So I'm not worried about him when I lose track a little bit. You want to not lose track for weeks. You want to not lose tracks for months or years of your inner child. I mean, if it was an external child, they'd be in real trouble, wouldn't they? You want to treat your inner child with the same sense of responsibility you would have for an external child. So now that this is established and arranged here in the garden, And you have this connection with your inner child established as well through this work. You can get down and give them another hug or a wave or a pat or, you know, whatever you and they are comfortable with. And you can leave them here in good hands, the good hands of who they're with and where they're at. And you can know that when you step through that door and close the door in your mind to the garden, that you're in a different world that they really don't have to be part of what you're going to deal with. And you can know that they're in a different place than you are, and they're fine. So make your way down back to the garden door now. See your child up at the hill, up at the top of the hill, watching you go, waving. Give him a wave, give him a smile, give him a kiss. And when you're ready now, Open the door and step through it. Closing the door behind you feel the differences of being here versus there. That's right. And notice how you feel having accomplished this with your inner child setting up a perfectly wonderful place for them to be safe and happy, particularly when you can't be with them. Take a breath and appreciate yourself and what you've done and what you've accomplished. This has been so important for you to do. And remind yourself when you're going to come back and check in on your child the next time. Next. Good. Now take two or three deep breaths and let what you've accomplished and your appreciation permeate all the parts of you. That's right. Very good. And I can count from five to one and you can know at the count of one your eyes can open and when you've opened your eyes... You'll come back feeling completely refreshed and relaxed and bringing back with you everything you want to remember and hold on to as well as what your soul knows is of interest and value for your happiness and your progress in your journey in this life. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. And welcome back. Remember that you can contact us anytime by going through our website. You can email us. That's karmicfreedom at gmail.com. You can go to karmicfreedom.com, our website, and you can access all of our services and products. You can access uh, our books there, and you can buy... Through the Eyes of a Child on Amazon.com. And we look forward to talking to you again on the next podcast. Have a happy day and see you later.